Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Insurgent Architects House for Creative Writing podcast series. My name is Larissa Lai, and I direct the Tea House Project as part of a Canada Research Chair in Creative Writing, which I hold here at the University of Calgary. I'm Hong Kong Chinese by way of Kumaye, Biotuk, and Coast Salish territories. I currently live on Treaty 7 land, where Tea House also makes its home. Tea House specifically acknowledges the Blackfoot Confederacy, comprising the Siksika, Bigani, and Gaina First Nations, as well as the Sutina First Nation and the Stony Nakoda, comprising the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley First Nations. We acknowledge also the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. Podcasts are produced and edited by graduate students from the English department here at the University of Calgary. You're just about to meet one of them. Hello, and welcome to Tea House Talks, the Insurgent Architects House for Creative Writing podcast series. Today, we present an interview of Anahita Jamali Rad, led by Mahmoud Abobne. In this interview, Anahita and Mahmoud discuss Anahita's book of poetry, Still. Beginning with the title, Anahita discusses the multiplicity of the word still as an adjective, as an adverb, and how stillness can be a reaction and a movement. Over the course of the conversation, Anahita and Mahmoud discuss the importance of reading Persian writers, how the quotes included work with and against Anahita's poetry, and how the book operates as a cog in the machine of capitalism. Mahmoud Abobne is pursuing a PhD in English literature at the University of Calgary on Treaty 7 territory. His research centers around trans-Indigenous and post-colonial literatures, decolonization, and settler colonialism. Mahmoud is currently teaching at Red Deer Polytechnic. His work appeared in the Journal of Holy Land and Palestine Studies. Anahita Jamali Rad was born in Iran and currently based in Jojage, on the traditional territory of the Ghanaian Gehaga. Informed by anti-imperialist materialist theory, Jamali Rad's work explores materiality, history, affect, ideology, violence, class, collectivity, desire, place, and displacement. They have published many chapbooks and two full-length books of poetry, For Love and Autonomy, published by Talon Books in 2016, and Still, also published by Talon Books in 2021. With Danielle LaFrance, they co-edited the journal About a Bicycle, of which there were five issues. Anahita Jamali Rad is currently designing and co-editing a small press called House House Press with David Bradford. Thanks for being here, Anahita. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm not bad. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I hear that you are moving between cities. How did that go? <laughs> uh, well, I'm still in the process of moving. Um, in two weeks, exactly, I think, we're going to officially take everything and move all the way. <laughs> Was it far, like the uh, distance between the two cities? Did you did you drive or how did it? Uh, yeah, it's like about a ten hour drive. 
So it's, it's at, at first we thought maybe we could just go back and forth for a bit, but it's, it's way too much. <laughs> <laughs> I Not very sustainable after a while. <laughs> I moved a few houses before and I know how, how it feels like, and it, there is like, there is excitement to that, right? Just going to a new city or a new house, like it'd be like, just kind of, I know there's lots of exhaustion here mm-hmm. and like packing things and unpacking things, but there's some kind of excitement to that, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. I try not to think about what I need to do to get there and more about like how exciting it is, what an exciting adventure it'll be. <laughs> And particularly during the, in the time of COVID, and uh, how how are you doing like regarding work, and how how did COVID influence the way you either write or work or even perform? Yeah, it's that's interesting you ask because I haven't. So my book still was released in spring, and was it spring? Oh my god, I can't even remember. <laughs> time has just gone <laughs> so weirdly. Yeah, and it just kind of felt like it uh, disappeared into nothingness because I was so used to, um, you know, publishing or like doing something like that and then kind of having launches, going to readings, doing a tour, kind of like interacting with other people around it, going doing like book fairs and things like that. And yeah, since that hasn't been happening, it kind of, I feel like my engagement with the publishing world and poetry and all that kind of thing just kind of like stopped. And I was just kind of like, waiting around for everything to open up again to get back into it so yeah it's it's been kind of weird (laughs) (laughs) how do you feel performing like online like or at least let's say to be specific reading poetry like how is that experience different than being in front of people or people like really few feet from you or like in comparison to this zoom when you're in person there's a lot of energy that you can kind of feed off of and it feels each time kind of like something different happens and also like being into interacting with like the other readers and like the crowd and like how well you know them or things like that and looking on the expressions of people's faces while you're reading and yeah so that doesn't happen online but um when i did do the launch with talon for the the big one that they did it was really nice to see people were just interacting in the chat and really like responding in the moment. Whereas like in a live reading, you kind of like do your reading and then you're like, ah, and then you afterwards, when you're like having a glass of wine or something, you talk to people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, they're both interesting and nice, but I definitely prefer in-person interacting. (laughs) That's really interesting because I could say the exact same thing about the classes, right? Because when when I'm in the classroom, I feel like this energy with the Mm -hmm. students and you see that, those impressions on their faces, right? You look at them and they're excited or like they're bored or like, you know, you know, students expression, right? Or sorry, they're like reaction to what you say. But online, even though some of them or most of them turn their cameras off, however, there is this participation thing that is about, like they might not say things, some of them in class, however, they would feel like courage or courageous enough to say that in the chat box, which I feel like is really interesting, isn't that, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of like opens up a different kind of participation that, yeah, for shy people is actually pretty nice and I mean, I get pretty socially anxious in both scenarios, but it's it's like a different hurdle for just writing something in the chat box. 
I felt it's just fair sometimes to switch between online. I, I, I'm teaching now in person. I feel it's it's really interesting and it's important to switch between both those styles for the same, I'm talking about the same classroom because one of my classrooms uh, or one of my sections I teach this semester is blended. Like some, like some weeks I do it, most of the weeks I do it in person, but other weeks I do it online. I noticed there's few students who I never hear them saying anything during in-person classes. However, when we shift to like Zoom lectures, they will be like typing and doing things, which I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You were mentioned in a list of Persian Canadian writers that people should read, or like a list of readers of Canadian from Persia or from Iran. And I was looking at your Twitter feed and I saw you retweeted that list. And the, the author of this list, which I, I completely agree with, and because that made, when I read that list of Persian Canadian writers, I was like, wait a minute. I agree with the author that there is the Persian Canadian writers are not as represented as one whole. Because when you have people talk about or discuss issues that are really related to you, that helps you situate yourself with other voices. What do you think of that? Yeah, I think in terms of my writing, I don't really like, I feel like maybe, especially in the past couple of years, I haven't really been situating myself in a particular writing community so much. But I have been thinking and reading a lot about the like Iranian writing tr- history and traditions and things like that. And um, it was really nice to kind of like be situated in that way as well, um, because it, especially in this book, it, it is something that kind of informed a lot of what I was writing. And it wasn't necessarily like explicit the whole time, but was really like an undercurrent of a lot of the contents. Because when I was reading that, I was like, actually, that's true. If I want now to write a paper as a grad student about Persian, Canadian, I I don't know where to start, right? Because I'm not sure if they are represented as anyone hopes, because it's important for for anyone to have this kind of community like-minded or people like talk about similarity. Because for me, when I, I I would like to read people who are interested in ideas or talk about issues that are of interest to me. So I thought that list is really important. Mm-hmm. And, and that leads me to talk about the book that is mentioned in that list, which is your book still. And I would like to start with the title. The title is still. So I'm wondering why still? Why this word? So I chose that word because I felt like it, it's a word that holds a lot of meanings. One of them is like stillness and kind of like lack of activity or like quiet or silence, but also like persistence. So like duration and continuation. And yeah, so kind of like holding both of those meanings in one word, a simple word like that was really, um, yeah, was that was it. <laughs> because I, I looked up the word and that sounds like really silly, but I, I like to do that. Like sometimes I take things for granted and I was like, maybe I should just step back and try to understand And it has, as you mentioned, like has all those meanings. You might not think of this word like in those, all of those meanings. You know the meanings, but when when you think about it, you not necessarily think of all those meanings simultaneously. Then it can be like as an adjective, as you mentioned, it could mean like not moving or the lack of movement, right? And it could be as like adverb, like related to time. It means like up to or including the, and, and including the present, right? 
So I thought I thought that was really brilliant title to to the. We will talk about the content right now, but I, like soon. But I was thinking like that is that is really brilliant, and I thought like I thought that requires like did, did it take you long to come up with this title, or it was like in your head? I kind of I I think I was originally thinking of another title, but. It was something, it was a word that I found myself using a lot while I was trying to write the book. And I realized that that was the word that kind of encapsulated all the ideas that I was trying to work through. And I didn't expect to write a book that was titled with one single word, um, but it, I, it, I couldn't add to it. it. It just seemed like it worked on its own because of all the meanings that it encapsulates. You studied design, right? Yeah. Did that help you in writing, or at least because I love the cover? Like I love it's just it's just like very I don't know I just love it. Is is that something you your background in development and or sorry in design help you with that, or you talk with someone else? Tell me about the the design. Of it. Yeah, I yeah, I definitely um, came up with the design. Yeah, I think I was trying to kind of again like try to pare it down as much as possible. And I was like, should I have an image? And I was like, no. And I was trying to think of maybe some colors or gradient or something. And then I knew that I was just like, no, it has to be like as simple and as possible. And I liked, you know, the color black, which is like, it kind of like is everything and nothing at the same time. So I I thought it was like a good way of like holding kind of the, the emptiness. And this simplicity you are talking about, does not actually reflect the content because it's pretty complex, like in, in a very good way. And I would start with the title again, because in the cover of the book, it says, it, still the book begins with a body with materiality that slowly morphs, extends, spills, and oozes. There is transformation here, and it is not still. <laughs> how, 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 what, what would you make of this, those two things put together? Like the idea of, like because I, when you read it through, it's like a journey that moves from one place to another, and there is like radicalism, there is like uh, resistance, there is like movement. But however, it's it is still. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think I was trying to find. So I found myself kind of in a place of stillness and trying to give stillness or inaction or refusal of participation not just an, a re, not as like a reaction or a nothingness, but also to have within it potential and also like give it a life of its own. So it has its own, like nothingness isn't just a reaction to something. It has its own life. It kind of like can spill out. It can move within itself. It has, it holds contradiction inside itself as well. So that's where I think the movement comes from as well. And I, I wanted movement and lack of movement to kind of coexist within the same thing. I, I love that. Uh, because you also started your book with a poem, Fouliette Procedures, that discusses kind of how history is formed. Then on the next page, there is a quote that talks about the temporary Mithridatic cost of revolutionary sacrifice and the I forever becoming we. What tone are you trying to sit here? Like, because that's the beginning, right? And mm-hmm. I, I am usually, and you will notice that through my questions, I love to see how the, those quotations or the introductions to 
the different parts of your book have a connection with the content and the meaning. So I'm just wondering how this foliate procedures connect with the, those quotations about revolutionary sacrifice. So I think what, what I was mostly um, also thinking about was, I guess, the idea of the I and the we and the this and the beyond. And the I, I try to use a lot in this work in a way that isn't actually an I. It's kind of like the I of subjectivity, but also the I of the emptiness and the nothingness and itself. And then the this for me kind of represented like materiality in general. And then the beyond as like whatever like potential there is, whether that is like something that is immaterial or spiritual or mystical or, you know, revolutionary ideal or a utopia or something. And then, yeah, the movement between that and how there's often sometimes, yeah, like the sacrifice is often sacrificing one's life or living. And I think that's another thing that I was kind of like working through through the book is what it means to give up life as a way of like refusing a participation as well as like that kind of revolutionary sacrifice. Was there a specific movement? I know like later on in the text, sorry, in your, in your book, you talk about like governments and we, I will come to that. But at this point, were like certain policies or things in mind when you were writing that? Or when you at least, uh, uh, there's also the quotation here where, where like there are certain movements or policies that's what they were happening at that moment. Yeah, so I'm not using the quote as a way of like situating it in any particular time. It's more like the idea within it. So I think it's more like trying to, for myself, trying to kind of grapple with how it is possible to kind of make any sort of change or have any sort of like political action be possible at all. <laughs> I, I love that the idea of like thinking of action and thinking of, of the way to resist or trying to work on something that people sometimes take for granted. However, you come with those ideas to resist or to sometimes examine the norm because the norm sometimes can carry lots with it that we can criticize. And here, like as we move from the first part, you move to like log one through five and it feels that you are kind of documenting certain events is that the case they're not actual events um i wanted it to kind of like be a way of documenting time but it wasn't an actual documenting of any particular events themselves yeah but it was it was mostly like imagining you know like a logging of days like time passes here's another like day that has passed here's another existing in the world and moving or not moving or just kind of like what it is to be is that why they all start with waiting yeah it's it's all kind of like it's like a kind of like stillness and letting time kind of pass the last log which is log five is really interesting to me it ends with make every flesh dispensable for when future wants what it wants. That's the end of the five logs here. And you ended with this note, which actually like resonates, resonates a lot with me. I was like, okay, that's really interesting here. What, what do you say about this end? So I think there's kind of a theme that's, that goes throughout the book about both like having 
sacrificing oneself, but also, you know, different forces, such as like capitalism, for example, that makes certain bodies dispensable and you know the make every flesh dispensable kind of comes from that as a way of like saying like yeah eventually we'll get to a place where no body is not disposable especially like in this kind of like imaginary of like you know whatever is happening with the world in terms of technology (laughs) for when future wants what it wants it kind of like is kind of drawing on the idiom the heart wants what it wants But yeah, so saying like the future, whatever it happens to be, the future could be, you know, a positive thing, but in this kind of imaginary, it's perhaps not. So it could be, it's open to being a positive thing, but it could also be a not positive thing. (laughs) Thanks, Anahita. And I, can I be greedy and ask you to read something from those blogs? Sure. Maybe I'll read the first three. Log one. I waited for time to reveal itself, for skin extending to mediate the sensed, pretending to experience, giving in to the prodromal sinking or collapsing to functions of a subdermal quiet that fills, when all your hope is a foggy presupposed to a purposeless wandering or suppositions of how I could climb a mountain, a thousand mountains to get to my displaced and contentless feeling for even a memory of idle inscription. Yet here I am now hidden in a renunciation of representational proximity obfuscated by the shape of my sensorial appearances of labor time or of a feeling inside, a wavering of presence that is unacknowledged and unknown still somehow designating forms of my wrenched and wretched, flung experience that is again in fragments. Log two. I waited for this specific temporality, correlated the positioning of my limbs to ground, to splinter a priority of a deferred commodity in skin's removal that used to drive me wild, still drives me wild. Now this post-normative regret is still scarcity and only proximal to the terminal possibilities of my undialectical empty time that is still a reliable tendency towards can't get my, can't get my mind, still in the absolute for you where sentiment of time repudiates how I feel, a still detached intensity. And maybe I echo this air of our dreamed future, our dreaded future, an asymmetry of time experience performs the intimacy between skin and a light breeze, still to feel movement in reveries of resource when living in this livid content scarcity and still explicitly desiring an authentic alternative to an internal politic, a detached propensity or an alternative immediacy that's still an enduring wishful feeling. Everything is accompanied by its opposite. In this catastrophe as in any, we abandon our errant experience of historical discontinuity and 
wishful, transformative, in stability, a turn away from what senses confirm. Our self-reflexive banished is an endless function of possible dazzling. The fraction standardizes enjoyment of this felt unavailable. Institutionalized obsession is in direct relation to splitting time, built experience. When the givenness of time necessarily mediates my remote possibilities of computational specifics, my prepositional transmission is in real time for when you get here and I. Log three. I waited every day, positioned it this way or that. My disjointed machinations felt symmetrical to a potential in exposing a persistence to find new ways of dying for those and unleveled parts of space. And here I am acting to get to the heart of it, to our inmost possibilities for a day like yesterday or tomorrow when air just stings a little. I lie without movement. My vision waves lightly as if my head is a boat, as if this building is a, as if my to you, stuck in loops of these alienated trajectories, capital flows and waves too. And maybe this moment gradually becomes something to look forward to a felt configuration of the sidewalk, the road, other buildings, carefully planted trees, new structures of language, of matter transposed, dislodged history or vectors of colony, a pulsing in my head of abnormal materialities. When rupture requires life, take mine. Obfuscation makes visible the materials that constitute the things that money mediates and are peripheral to the still immediate, still fragmentary, simultaneity of the past, still stuck in this loop of where you and I. Absolutely beautiful. I think this is just amazing. I will ask you later to read from the other parts of the book, but I thought those logs are just absolutely fantastic. Thank you, uh, Anahita. Thank you. In the second part of the book, condition of system-wide crisis. You talked about extraction of resources, governments, and policies. Is this Anahita's way to be arranged in the cogs of the machines? Yeah, so I think it's kind of trying to find ways to do that. So it is kind of like taking paths, like trying to find paths of like how to be arranged in the machine <laughs> or in the cogs of the machine, yeah. Yeah, and some of them are like, you know, they're different, but they're all kind of like in different ways of imagining what that would be like. Is that a discussion about anti-capitalism and how capitalism view like resources or view land and how they like capitalists extract land? Is that is that what is it about? Yeah, definitely. It's about, I guess, I mean, you could frame it as like the vampiric 
elements of capitalism and how it just, you know, it extracts as much as it possibly can from anywhere. And uh, so it's, you know, it talks about land extraction and it talks about resource extraction. It talks about, you know, um, labor extraction or, you know, exploitation and, and, in the poems that uh, talk about the transformation of the body, kind of those ones, you know, they're they're also talking about the way capitalism now extracts from behavior or just just existing in the world is something that can now be mined or can be extracted for gain. Which tells you about the the stages of capitalism that we are at right now. Is that correct? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Are we in the last stages of capital? You know, it's uh, you never know. Yeah, I thought we were. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe that was it ten years ago, but uh, it, it it's it's really good at um, morphing into different ways of you know surviving, <laughs> and that's the scariest part of that. <laughs> to move to a, a bit lighter subject than <laughs> last stages of capitalism. Yeah. In the part, you made me forget myself. I thought I was someone else. And that's, I think, a reference. I had to research that to, um, I hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly, Law Reads, Perfect Day. So how the poem, My Leaking Representation, which is the first poem in this part, is connected to Law Reads' song. The poem is talking about cracking the codes of how to cease to exist and seeping into the floorboards through the cracks. However, if you read the lyrics of the song, they are talking basically about, you know, having a great day, being in the park, watching a movie. How, how can we reconcile those two things? Yeah, I think I liked the reference because it was like kind of an opposite. And I like in my practice to kind of like put things that are opposites, but somehow are making a reference to the same thing. And I love songs because normally they're like love songs or you know they're singing about intimacy or you know joy and things like that and then but you can really like take words like that and see them in a different light like you made me forget myself I thought I was someone else is like can also be talking about like losing one's the self whether that is like a positive thing of like no longer thinking about subjectivity is like individuality and things like that or it could be like which is like a positive thing, you know, in, in my opinion, <laughs> of not being so individualistic, but also could also be like a way of like falling into the mechanisms that are controlling us and kind of forgetting that there is like an outside or, you know, the possibility that there is an outside at all. <laughs> I am just also fascinated by your references throughout all the parts of your book. And you talk about or you quote different and, and and that's so fascinating because each time I read a part I always be like trying I guess I, as I said earlier trying to see how this part of the book or the collection of poetry work with the introduction and it, it was really interesting to hear you talking about this kind of at this at least at the surface level that that looked contradictory between the song and your first poem my leaking representation because the poem is really like when you read the poem like you go into details of like that is really deep and powerful and it took me lots of thinking to see how can we reconcile those two images the ones in the poem and the ones in the song then then later on in the book you also quoted another critic lauren berlant by doing about slow death occupies the temporalities of the endemics of the endemic 
Yeah, I think like the idea, you know, there's the things that, you know, we desire can also be the things that are driving us into, you know, like a slow death. <laughs> um, and like in the next poem, as you can see, like it's called Unconcerned Compulsion. So it's like the compulsory participation in social media, for example, and like bodies transform into non-bodies, data points, and like the ways that we allow ourselves to just kind of be extracted in certain ways. Is that the rejection of the gaze? I think it's um, trying to complicate it because there is, you know, there's no, the thing that I kind of um, I'm trying to work through also in this book is, and in future projects is what it, what it means to reject something and what, you know, is a gaze kind of like always pointed in one direction and kind of trying to kind of remove thinking about things in terms of like what it means to have like a visual relationship with the world. And when you think of a gaze, it's always, you know, it's, you know, you think you see the eye with the little triangle kind of <laughs> facing out. Um, and it is in a way like a rejection, but it also is like, how do you circumvent the gaze? How do you find ways of like resisting by not resisting, you know, like being still existing within and like changing itself to be like ungazable, <laughs> you know, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Uh, to another quote, to tell you how fascinated I am with the quotes that you chose. You chose Vladimir Lenin, and you chose from the work Lessons of the Crisis. And the three poems that followed are corruption, disruption, and rupture. How are those connected with the idea of class struggle? Because that is, you mentioned, you talk about they sweep away the political litter and reveal the real mainsprings of the class struggle. That's from Lenin's quote. Yeah, so I think one of the things that was really like a foundational was, you know, contradiction. And contradiction is like what leads to all different, like the, the, the ones that follow it are like different ways that contradiction can be, can act or can can uh, come about. <laughs> um, I can't think of a better word right now. <laughs> yeah, and so like the quote kind of talks about like times that you're kind of like when everything is like kind of falling apart and what becomes clear are like the bare bones of what the, the main contradiction of a society is and the quote from Lenin, it's class struggle and yeah, so you, you basically see like the power structures and like the different systems that are at play become really clear. And that's something that became evident during the pandemic. You know, you saw, you we, like we saw like all the problems with society became suddenly like really clear. Yeah, and you know, I wrote these poems before the pandemic, you know, they were definitely like a something that I was thinking about. And then every time I read them after the pandemic, it's like, oh, it's so interesting that like, <laughs> this is what happened in the pandemic or like, these are the things that uh, a lot of people were kind of talking about, especially in terms of like, you know, the stillness, you know, kind of being not moving, not going out, not, yeah. So <laughs> that was kind of fun. I love how you circled back to the title because it's just so, so good. Like the title, it's just when you, when you talk and then you circle it, it's a step, and those who 
I haven't read the book yet, you would notice that this word is actually used frequently in, the, in different places and different ways and for different reasons. And that is so fascinating. Can I be greedy again and ask you to read a poem or two of your choice? Yeah, sure. I kind of want to read the the ones that come after the the slow death occupies the temporalities of the endemic. Of course, yeah. Unconcerned compulsions. Here, encounters have no content with which to counter the world of drives and productivity. A gaze is not pointed, but is an interruption of linearity, punctuating this endless leisure of auto-exploitation. Bodies transform into non-bodies, data points. Exhausted with the dragging of their bones in, thickened air in, this worrying situation, a potential for confrontation. When any action, entangled in the whims of capital, from here or there, individual or collective, could provoke or is ineffective. The body dislodged, thick with nothing but presence. Experience destabilizes the body of objects, of deregulated shifts in motion, moves a new kind of economy. The body performs edges of space, ends ownership of the material, instead exchanges in behavior. The body aligns itself against the chair, the chair sealed in space, borders here and there, borders a definition by material or let it be done. In style, displayed like an arrangement to know, here or there, this or that, self or other, up or down, gathers worlds, a display of intimacy, directs a translation of body, purports to move, affects the edges of space, thickened by some stagnation, Heavy, so heavy, breath does not move. The body forgets sometimes, too, how it used to breathe, how light it could be to breathe, how effortless. When air moved through the body, before its boundaries were so heavy, a density of materiality weathered by space, this unregulated destability. When hands must handle, the body disorients itself, free and open, finally, which is out to the edges of the previously untouched. The body extends its limbs to the wall to catch itself, adds value to the wall. Here, the body reaches to touch the edges of what can be deemed profitable. The disoriented body builds a radically different technological age, decenters its points of departure, throws the world up, intimately scales up and replaces by reputation systems. The disoriented body makes what was at once invisible to capital reappear, building markets out of the evasion of every barricade, the far reaches, the extremities that hold the structures of relation. The disoriented body slips proximity, does not hold in place, threatens the alignment of space and relations, is not simply directed toward a life worth living or a life that makes a living, is topsy-turvy, not following direction, puts to use, builds an imaginary, finds a solution, fills the gaps, severs the relations, is only supplemental, does not deliver on promises, evades responsibility, 
and yet is still within the bounds of capital. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. That's so moving. I, I love it. I noticed those poems have, structurally speaking, a different form than the logs. Is there something about that? Yeah, I think um, definitely because it's like talking about, it's really, it's more phenomenological and um, really kind of trying to play with materiality and the experience of materiality and how like imagining a shift between materiality and immateriality and still kind of keeping, trying to hold both of those things in space. And I guess like the, the shape of like block prose kind of shape kind of to try to contain something like that, you know, like with the, the walls, you know, there's the walls are kind of like around it or, or like there's a chair that is you're relating to a chair. There's like objects. That is so brilliant. And, and I, I love the way you put it together about the shape. Even it's like a paragraph, right? It's like, and they love the way you explain that. This is absolutely amazing. And one of the, I love this uh, author, Adorno. On page 99, Adorno is there on your book saying anything that is not reified cannot be counted and major ceases to exist. Why is that the conclusion? Since that's my last question, I'm concluding also with it. So why did you conclude your book with this kind of really deep idea about anything that is not reified? I think, like, again, like a lot of the, the quotes and things that or in the book is is kind of like it they're they're all trying to be kind of openings and like it, it could be taken like you know I'm saying that while. because the poem after is I disappeared and that feels like that like the finale right throughout the yeah. book there's the morphation the changes all of that then at the end you have this great quote by Adorno then the the poem comes after I disappeared. Yeah, so it's like, you know, it could be a negative thing like capital, you know, in capitalism, everything is measured by whether you can buy it or sell, you know what I mean? Like anything, everything is in numbers, it's all in data points. And then um, it's kind of like taking the ceasing to exist to not be a negative and, and it's kind of creating that opening for ceasing to exist, kind of like how that's, that's how you get out of capital by ceasing to exist. And then, yeah, like in the next page, when it says, like, I disappeared, it says that this is, this is what happens. You can, this is a way out. This is absolutely brilliant idea. I disappeared. Therefore, I'm not a thing. I'm not an object. So mm -hmm. I'm not part of the whole that. And therefore, I just love, love that. And I loved, I enjoyed every minute in this conversation. And I would like to thank you, Anahita, for being with us today. And I cannot enough, thank you enough for all these great readings that I am, again, I'm so greedy. I would listen to that all day. And thank you so much for that. Thank you, Matthew. We hope you enjoyed this interview of Anahita Jamali Rad by Mahmoud Abobne. I'm Ryan Stern, and you're listening to Tea House Talks. Tea House recognizes the generous support of the Candor Research Chairs Program and the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council.
We also appreciate the support of the Faculty of Arts and the Department of English at the University of Calgary, where our offices are housed, as well as the guidance of Mark Stuckel at the Taylor Family Digital Library. Tea House is run by Larissa Lai, Mika Jacobson, Rebecca Jolene, Mahmoud Bobney, Ryan Stern, Shuya New, Mark Lynch, Shazia Hafiz Ramji, Benjamin Gon, and Amy LeBlanc. Our music is Monarch of the Streets by Loyalty Freak Music. Stay tuned for the next episode of Tea House Talks. For more on the work of Tea House, including symposia, panels, and readings, please check out our website at www.tiahouse.ca. If you'd like to be in touch, send us an email at tiahouseyyc at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.